Uh, thank you for a day of uh, blessing and rest and worship. Uh, we pray now that you would, uh, in your kindness, meet with us by the power of your spirit, through your word, uh, and do good to your people. Uh, this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're doing this series on um, the church and on membership. Uh, and we're on to session three. Um, we should be called Welcome to a Messy Church on your handout. We're going to do four weeks. Um, really thinking about what goes on in church life and um, what it means to be a, a church member. Uh, I said in previous weeks, it's a bit like walking around a house, uh, viewing it, seeing kind of seeing what you're getting yourself into, in other words. Um, last time we saw that when God saves people, he saves them into the church, which is a kingdom. Um, the church is not a democracy, it's not a society, it's not a club, it's a kingdom with someone in charge, Christ, and he rules it. And it's therefore up to him how that church is led and organised. Um, so, in fact, that was two weeks ago, so last week in particular we looked at the idea of um, there being elders over the church. Um, Jesus, Jesus is in charge, um, but he, he rules, he's obviously not on earth anymore, so he, he, he rules through his word, but he, which he puts in the hands of elders. And this week, we need to think about the sort of, not particularly fun, but important topic of what happens when it goes wrong. Okay, what happens when um, people rebel uh, against Jesus' authority? So we think about the whole area of church discipline. Um, but as a way into this, um, could you come with me please to Matthew chapter 16? Matthew 16. And I want to think about keys. So let me read uh, Matthew 16. I'll go from verse 15. Um, He said to them, but who do you say that I am? It's Jesus talking to the disciples. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Uh, Peter is given some keys. I give to you, do you see verse uh, 19, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, the kingdom here is the same as the church, more or less. Verse 18, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Verse, next verse, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. So the kingdom and the, the church here are almost synonyms. Okay? They, they're really tightly bound together. And Peter is given keys. What are keys for? Keys pretty obviously for unlocking something, opening something, or locking it, shutting it. They're for opening and closing, locking and unlocking. But the question is, how does that actually work out? Okay, what does it mean that Peter's given these keys of the kingdom? Um, and secondly, are they just buried with Peter? Is it just something specially for Peter, or is it something that sort of carries on down the years? Um, well, just if you look on, if you're in church Bibles, even on the same page or the, the adjoining page, 823 uh, and chapter 18 of Matthew. And we get this idea of 
binding and loosing. Again, remember the keys bind and the keys loose. Uh, key passage this morning, really, chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Last couple of verses are famous, aren't they? Two or three gathered together in my name, there I am with them. Uh, but we perhaps don't often notice that the context is this whole area of church discipline. What goes, what happens uh, when someone willfully continues to, to break the fellowship, to, to sin? We'll come back to that whole process a bit, a bit later in the session. But for now, just notice what um, the, the language in verse 18. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So it's exactly the same language as chapter 16. Okay, these are the keys in action. But this time it's not Peter who's letting people in and shutting them out of the church. Because this is Jesus talking about what's going to happen in the future, down the, down the centuries. This is the church in action. So that the keys are not buried with Peter. This whole process of binding, so bringing people in to the church, opening the door, saying, yes, you're part of the church. Or loosing, which is shutting the door, saying, no, you're not in the church. This is something that continues beyond just Peter. And really, this, this, whole, this whole passage and the keys are all about uh, what is, I suppose, historically, traditionally known uh, as church discipline. I put a summary from the Heidelberg Catechism there. The preaching of the Holy Gospel and Christian discipline towards repentance. Both of them open the kingdom of heaven to believers and close it to unbelievers. Uh, we're not going to talk about preaching this morning. That's another, another topic. But you can see how preaching opens the kingdom to people. You preach the gospel. It's like the door's being opened. Come in. This morning we're doing the, the great banquet. You know, Jesus, the Father sends out the invitation, come in. So as the gospel is preached, the door is opened. And anyone who believes comes in. At the same time, as you preach the gospel and someone says, no, that's not for me, well, the door has been closed. You know, there's no way to the Father except through the Son. So you can see how preaching does it. But, but discipline, church discipline, uh, in Matthew 18, and we'll look at various other passages too, church discipline is also integral to this whole process. So, so what is it? I've used the phrase church discipline lots already. What, what is church discipline? Well, church discipline is, is the work of Christ through the church to warn his people about their sin and where necessary to bring, to bring sanctions against them. So notice it's the work of Christ first and foremost. Okay, Christ Church Centre is not my church or Peter Wood's church or Matt Shortman's church. Um, it's not even our church in a kind of democratic way it is Christ's church because all churches are Christ's church because we're all part of the one body so ultimately all, all the work is the work of Christ as he rules through his, his word and that means when it comes to discipline it's, it's not although as, as, as again we'll see a little bit later although I think the elders are meant to take a lead overseeing the process um, it is not up to the, the ministers or the elders um, who and when to discipline um, so I, I'm not allowed I'm just not allowed to say 
do you know what? The Bible says we should really care for each other. And one way you could really care for me is on uh, Friday nights if the Elliots will bring me fish and chips, and Thursday nights uh, the Quintons bring me a Chinese, uh, Wednesday nights the Woods are going to bring me an Indian. That's a really, that is what you have to do, and if you don't do it, um, you will not be obeying your church authority, so you'll be breaking the Bible's rules. I, just can't, I can't do that. Um, I don't have that kind of authority as an elder. Um, the only things an elder, a minister in the church, is allowed to insist on are things that are there in Scripture. And therefore, when, when this whole process of church discipline kicks in, when something goes badly wrong, okay, the, only, um, the only power ultimately is coming from God's word. Okay, we're not allowed to disobey that. So if Christ says, in this situation, you need to act, then elders aren't allowed to say, well, we're not going to. And equally, if Christ says, look, in this situation, you've just got to let it go, elders aren't allowed to go, well, actually, it's really annoyed me, so we're going sort of, to act. Uh, it's the work of Christ, first and foremost. And although, you know, it's not a topic we talk about loads, church discipline, um, the sort of most fun topic, uh, but actually there's loads of examples of it in the New Testament. That Matthew 18 passage is going to be our, our key one for this morning, or oh, that and 1 Corinthians 5, actually. Uh, we'll come back to Matthew 18 when we think about how it works. But I just put a few other verses on your sheet. Um, so in Titus, Titus is a young minister, um, and Paul writes to him, about somebody who's being divisive in the church, causing trouble. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. That's not, that's not kind, Paul. Have nothing to do with him. He's divisive. You know, warn him, and then again, and then just, like, nothing to do with him. And yet there it is. Uh, we could... I've, I'm not going to look at all these other passages. You can look up 2 Thessalonians later if you want. Um, think about the letters in Revelation. Do you remember those, those seven letters that begin Revelation, the book of Revelation? Where, where Jesus issues warnings to the church and will say things like, you know, if you don't repent, I will come and take your candlestick away. Um, uh, so, just one example, Revelation 2.5. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So that is Jesus being active there, saying, look, I'm going to come and basically shut your church down if you don't sort this, this particular issue out. But alongside Matthew 18, perhaps the most famous New Testament example is, is 1 Corinthians 5. And I think in groups we're going to have a little, little look at this passage um, now. So come with me to 1 Corinthians 5, please. I'm going to read it uh, and just set the context a little bit. And I, I really just want you to discuss what, what is the purpose of the, 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 the discipline, the sanctions that happen in this passage. So 1 Corinthians 5. Uh, Paul, who's the apostle writing to the, the church in Corinth, says this. It's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife. Up there, what's going on? Paul saying, Look, within your church, Corinthians, you guys are doing stuff that even people who are totally not Christian, never read the Bible, never heard of anything, even they don't do it. In particular, uh, a man is sleeping probably with his mother in law because it says father's wife, it's probably his sorry, not his mother in law, it's probably his stepmother um, rather than his mum, could just be his mum. But either way, it's a sexual relationship that, that 
Like, even people out in the world would be like, oh, you know, what are you doing? And how did the Corinthians respond? Verse 2, you're arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Instead of saying, whoa, this isn't on, the Corinthians seem to be saying, well, hey, you know, forgiven sinners, anything goes, we all make mistakes. Uh, you know, I was a bit cross with my kids this morning. You know, Bob swore when he stubbed his toe. Frank's sleeping with his mother-in-law. Who cares? Okay, it's just grace. But Paul's not impressed. Verse 3. For though absent in body, so Paul's writing from elsewhere, I'm present in spirit. And as if present, I've already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. So what are they to do? When you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, there's that gathering word again, like Matthew 18. And my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. You're to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. You're to hand this man over to Satan. Now, this is not some weird sort of spooky ceremony where Satan appears. and Don't think kind of horror film kind of stuff. All, all Paul is saying is this. Look, there's the kingdom of, of Jesus, okay, which is the church. And then, as he calls Satan elsewhere, there's the God of this age, Satan, the devil who's wanting to attack the church. And you've got to be in one of the two kingdoms. So, so by handing over to Satan, what he's saying is, look, you say to this man when you gather together, Look, unless you stop this, you are out of the church. Okay, unless you repent and come back. And of course you can be forgiven. Of course you can find grace. But, but if you're unwilling to, you're not part of the church anymore. That's what it means by handing him over. Uh, verse 6, he goes on. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven, little kind of yeast sort of stuff, leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the leaven of bread, sorry, the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, there's a danger now, Paul thinks, or they might not understand this. Maybe the Christians in Corinth will suddenly say, oh, just a minute, so anytime someone sins, we're all meant to run away and be horrified and kind of cross our fingers and um, we'll have to just sort of retreat from the world and live like monks in a cave or something. Well, verse 9... He clarifies, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral people of the world, or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters, since then you need to go out of the world. I'm not saying go and be monks, I'm not saying disappear. Okay, of course, people who are not Christians can do all sorts of things. Of course they are. Don't withdraw. But now I'm writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he's guilty of sexual morality or greed, or is an idolater, a violent, drunkard, swindler, not even to eat with such a one. What have I, what have I, Paul, got to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside whom you're to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Quotes. So, in this case of really very big, obvious sin, sleeping with a mother-in-law, it's not sort of, it's not a little tiny thing, is it? Um, unrepentantly, Paul says, right, you've got to put them out of the church. Uh, that would be an extreme end of church discipline. So just, just, just around the, the tables for, for a few minutes now, just looking at that passage, and you're welcome to think of other answers if they don't come from this passage, if you can think of other, other things, but why does it matter? Okay, what's the purposes? There's several, I think. What are the purposes of church discipline? Because it could seem a bit harsh. So what are the purposes? Why, is, why does Paul care about this? Let's just do a few, you know, five minutes around the tables. See how we go. Let's um, let's come out together. 
Um, Church discipline is it's not something to talk about lots. It can seem as a kind of like, whoa, isn't this against the gospel? We'll come back to that a bit later. Um, but it is woven all the way through scripture. I think there are four main reasons you can see in the New Testament why this, this really matters. And actually why if churches stop bothering about it, they get into a total mess. Okay, no one likes it unless you're you know, a psycho. But, but if, you, if, you, if you're unwilling to do what Jesus asked you to do, then unsurprisingly things go wrong. Uh, four reasons, um, most in this passage. Um, the first is for the sake of the, the, the sinner themselves, for the sake of the person who's really rebelling very high-handedly. See in verse, verse 5, you're to deliver this man over to Satan, so put him out of the church for the destruction of the flesh, i.e., that doesn't mean so his body is destroyed, the flesh there means the kind of the sinful nature. Okay. Basically, so he wakes up, realizes what he's done, he's the shock of saying, no, you're not part of the church then, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. It's, it's like a bucket of cold water in the face, this really matters. Okay, and the idea is it wakes the person up and they, whoa, okay, I need to come to Jesus for forgiveness and salvation. So it's for their sake. You're not being kind, letting it continue. Uh, I can only, I remember back in my first job, so a long time ago, nobody, anyone here would know. Um, someone, one, one guy in the church started sleeping with someone else's wife. Okay, so you had, a, you had a, a dad in the church sleeping with, starting an affair with a, a, a mum. Now, would it have been kind for us just to say, ah, these things happen, you know, love is love, you've got to follow your heart, who are we to judge? Well, of course not. Okay, the poor other spouses and the kids were being horrendously sinned against. Okay, so it would, be, it would be unkind to their spouses, but also unkind to them. They were getting themselves in real danger by doing so. So the first reason is the sake of the sinner. Uh, the second is for the sake of other Christians. You spot that in verse 6, it's slightly confusing... Um, paragraph isn't it this but this picture of leaven or yeast um do you not know that little leaven verse six leavens the whole lump it, it just can get contagious okay so that 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 guy starts having an affair and then the the two teenagers in youth group think well it doesn't seem to be that much of a big deal this whole kind of sexual morality stuff that the vicar keeps talking about so maybe we'll just crack on sleeping together too even though we're not married and then someone else thinks, oh, I quite like my sex. You know, you see how it just spreads. It doesn't seem to be, sin doesn't seem to be, the vicar always talks about it from the front, but no one really, no one really cares really. No, one's, no one actually thinks what, you know, what the vicar says. So it's for the sake of other Christians. Um, it's for the sake of Christ's honour. Uh, you sort of get this from verse one, really, I suppose. You know, Paul's almost incredulous. It's actually reported that, that someone's sleeping with his mother, in, uh, his stepmother or mother-in-law whatever it might be and, and you don't care even the people outside the church think that's ridiculous now we know this don't we so many times sadly that in the press there are stories about what people in church or ministers or priests or bishops or whatever have done that just make the church look horrendous well, and, and shows the church is horrendous actually it doesn't just make it look horrendous you think of the really extreme stuff about abuse child abuse um, but all, I mean, all sorts of things, you know, fairs and I mean, all sorts of stuff. And, and, and so often the church fails to act. Just sort of, and so there's no difference. You know, the, 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 um, the name of Christ is sort of besmirched and, and slandered, really, because, because of the way that we live, his people live. And then finally, just for the protection of the church. Um, I don't think you can get this necessary from 1 Corinthians 5, but that, that Revelation 2 verse I read earlier, Revelation 2 5, if you don't 
sort this out. So Jesus, I'll come and take the lampstand away. Basically, I'll come and shut your church down. Um, there's no promise in the Bible that Christchurch Central or the IPC or Redeemer or Emmanuel or City or St George's specifically will last to the end of the ages. You know, if you muck around too much, Jesus says, well, it might just be better. I come and shut the church down. So it does matter. And we, we don't have a choice as to whether this is something we, um, we follow or not. Again, as I said at the beginning, it comes from Jesus. Thanks, Sally. That's loads better. <laughs> so how does this all happen? It once it's informal, it happens all the time. Okay, when, um, someone preaches and, I don't know, says, you know, you must, you must guard your eyes. Don't wander off into lust. And, yeah, that, that is, we're sort of disciplining ourselves. We're hearing the, the Bible taught, the warnings, the... the um, the path of life is laid out so informally it's happening all the time or a community group or focus or just chatting with your friends or someone says you know you do you do sound pretty angry about that you know I thought you were a bit harsh in how you spoke to Sarah last week that, that, that is in a very informal sense it's, it's just going on all the time okay, it's just helping us oh yes mm, yeah. and hopefully we just if it's right we take it on board and we, we repent we find forgiveness and on we go but, but I suppose what we're talking about really is the sort of formal process Okay, when stuff escalates. So I just want to walk through some, some practical questions um, that, that come up when you cover this topic. Um, because once, again, to link this back to the whole thing about membership of the church, when we bring in membership, um, when someone's a member of a church, one of the things they are accepting is that they will be a part of this process. Okay, so when I become a member of a church, I'm saying, look, I understand that should I... Um, go off veer off track that i am subject to the discipline of the church that's not my job just to run around every christian in leeds you know oh i heard someone at redeemer did something naughty so i'm gonna go and find them and you know they're not they're not my responsibility they're not my congregation i'm not an elder over them but as elders here those who are members of our church okay we have got this responsibility from the lord to shepherd so a few practical questions we're going to run through this pretty pretty quickly um what what's you keep talking about if sin requires discipline what sins and, and, and here I've, I've just put a few quotes from the, the book of church order which is the kind of um here it is exciting read i'm sure it's on all your christmas lists um it's kind of like how how does ipc in particular run all churches have these or if they don't they just end up in a mess it's just a sort of laid out procedures how's this actually going to run so it's not this surprise attack um it's not just about discipline i should say it's about all sorts of things how how churches run so a lot of the quotes are from that book what sins require discipline? Well, in one sense, all offences being sins against God are grounds for discipline. It includes those which are private or known to few people, those which are public, and those which may not cause or harm others. Okay, all sin is bad, obviously. But you're not going to bring formal processes every time you have one too many profiteroles at lunch and they're a bit greedy or something. So, charges serious enough to warrant a, a trial, so warrant a, a formal process, can be in areas of conduct and practice or in areas of doctrine. Okay, so how we live... Or in our, our doctrine, okay, our, our teaching. Uh, a charge shall be brought for offences which disturb the peace, purity, or unity of the church. And this is where things diverge a little bit, depending on whether you're an elder or a member. And if you think about becoming a member, you need to know about both, because part of the point of all this is not just the elders being these sort of you know, secret police trying to crack down in discipline and every time anyone can put some, one foot out of line. But, but actually also so the congregation know how to, um, when the elders go wrong, know how to get us fired, basically. Okay, if we go rogue. And it just does, I'm 
just does happen, I'm afraid, that I can't promise you that I or Matt or Peter won't go rogue or any future elders. Like we, we do our best and God willing, we you know, examine people before we appoint them, but we know it happens. So you do need to know how to sack us all. Okay, that's part of what this is about. So, in areas of doctrine, for a non-ordained church member, so for a non-elder, okay, the offence must be one which constitutes a denial of the faith. But for an ordained officer, so an elder in the church, an offence in areas of doctrine serious enough to warrant trial is in cases where there's a violation of his ordination vows or the doctrinal standards as expressed in the, in the doctrinal basis of the IPC, which is the Westminster Standards. Uh, what's that saying? For a church member, okay, remember, what's the standard of becoming a member in church? It just means you need to believe the gospel. Okay, you don't, you don't have to be a Presbyterian. You don't have to believe in the sovereignty of God. You don't have to... I mean, there's so many things you don't have to believe. I'm not going to start listing them. <laughs> okay, all sorts of things. All sorts of things which I reckon you should believe, because I think the Bible teaches them. But you don't have to believe them to be a member, because we're all jumbled up in our minds, and we're all confused about lots of things. And you might have been a Christian five minutes, and so, of course, there's loads of things you haven't thought about. You might have been brought up in a different tradition and hold strongly to some differences. That's all fine for being a member. So, you know, you, uh, if you... Oh, what would be a classic? Baptism. Say you have a kid and you're like, actually, I don't think we should baptise them. Okay, you're not going to get disciplined by a Presbyterian church for that. It's like, well, okay, I think you probably should, but there we go. Um, but for an elder, okay, we, have, we take promises that we are going to hold to certain positions in order to, to work in an IPC church, a Presbyterian church. So if I start stand up and say something like, well, I don't believe God's really sovereign, that doesn't mean I'm not a Christian, does it? Okay, there's loads of people who are Christians who don't believe God is absolutely in control of everything. But as an elder, that would be breaching my, my promise that, that our denomination holds to this, this particular um, position, that God is all-powerful, you know, omnipotent. So I've promised I will teach that in line with that position. I'm just breaking my word if I don't. And so I would get, if I didn't repent and change my mind, I'd get fired for it. In getting fired, people wouldn't be saying, you're not a Christian, you're not going to heaven. Just saying, well, no, look, that, you, know, you need to go and join another denomination or something. Okay? We think that's a... That's, you know, a biblical mistake and as a teacher you're held to a higher standard James 3 those of you who teach will be judged more severely so d- different um, different standards when it comes to, to sort of doctrine for um, members and elders but at lifestyle it's going to be pretty similar okay pretty similar now elders maybe it's a little bit tighter um, um, I don't need to go into all the differences there. But essentially, lifestyle for all Christians ought to be the same anyway, oughtn't it? So these formal, these formal kind of discipline proceedings, if you like, would only kick in with a, with a pretty grievous sin, something serious enough, in the language of the, the BCA, to, to, warrant, uh, to warrant discipline. Um, how does it actually happen? Well, it begins informally. Remember in Matthew 18, first of all, you go just, just one-on-one. Okay? You go and have a chat. Okay? It's not all the way to the law, smashing down to begin with. And the person might well say, oh, yeah, my bad, and off we go. That doesn't work. You go back with, with a couple of people. Okay? Again, it's informal. You're trying to, trying to sort of move on gradually. Uh, but it may be that still they, they don't listen. We don't listen. And then in verse 17 of chapter 18, if he refuses to listen to them, the two or three extra witnesses, tell it to the church. 
Okay, so the whole church is getting involved at this stage. And this, if you like, is where, where it gets formal. And you need to have some sort of process for this. I mean, how does that work? Does it mean I just stand up on a Sunday morning and say, oh, Bob's done this. Isn't it bad, everybody? What do you reckon? It's, it, it, it can't be that vague. And so although this, this stuff on the sheets might feel a bit kind of um, legally, it, it's, just, it's, it's just a way of trying to keep it clear and, and have a process rather than just being a kind of lynching. Um, uh, what, what would happen is that um, the, the elders would, would take a lead on this although it would be discussed with the congregation if, if appropriate you can imagine some situation where it's difficult if it's some families involved or whatever but the elders would take a lead and um, on, on C on your sheets here if, if it's been clearly shown to be true Okay, so this is, it's, not, it's not in doubt. I'm not going to go into the, sort of how do you show something's true or not now. The Bible principle basically is you need to have a couple of witnesses. can't just be any slanderous accusation. A couple of witnesses. If it's shown to be true, what, what might happen? Okay, so it's, let's take the, take the man sleeping with his mother-in-law. Okay, there's no doubt about it. What, what might happen? Well, there's, there's a few levels. Okay, admonition is the lowest. It's a sort of kindly, gentle confronting of an offender with his sin, warning of his danger, and exhorting him to repent, repentance. Okay, that would be, be that kind of low level. This is, this is problematic. Um, upper stage, rebuke. Uh, again, quote from the BCO, a severe expression of disapproval and an exhortation to repentance and greater obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. When the offence is private, the rebuke shall be ministered in private. When the offence is public, the rebuke shall be generally public as well. Uh, and a written statement for clarity issued as well. But the, so, so both of those are kind of relatively low level. Upper level... Suspension. Suspension is for serious offences. Okay, it consists in a temporary suspension from the privilege of membership, office, i.e. being an elder, or both. Um, this, okay, it's obviously more serious if someone's saying, no, you can't be a member anymore, or you're not going to be an elder anymore, suspended from it. This essentially becomes necessary because of the seriousness of the offence, or when, despite repeated admonition, an offence is persistently repeated. Okay, so it might be either a, a more serious sin, or it might be something smaller that they just refuse, okay? Um, so, I don't know, shouting at your wife once because you lose your temper is one thing, but if you keep doing it, it becomes abusive. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it can be a, a, something can be as a one-off, okay, or just a weakness, but if you just unrepentantly keep doing it, I don't care what it becomes more, more serious, obviously. This may be for a definite, so you might be suspended for six weeks or for an indefinite time until you repent. And suspension from membership means the person is not allowed to sit at the Lord's table. That's why people talk about excommunication, not able to have communion anymore. But it doesn't mean that you, you can't come to church services. Okay? So you can still come to the services, but, it, but not, take, not take the Lord's Supper. Um, upper level, deposition is depriving a church officer of his office. Um, so that, that doesn't apply to members. That's more, might be someone saying, look, John T's not appropriate to be a minister anymore. So he gets deposed. Doesn't mean, not saying you're not a Christian, but not appropriate to be a minister anymore. And then finally, the, the really last big one, excommunication, is the final censure for persistent impenitence. It's the judicial dismissal of an offender from membership of the church and therefore from fellowship of the Lord's table. It'll be announced in a church in which the person holds membership. Its purpose, as in other types of discipline, is to bring the excommunicated person to 
repentance and reconciling once again to God. In, in really serious cases, unrepentant, you end up saying you're just not a part of the church. Now, this does happen, sadly. Um, it's for the good of the person. It's for the glory of Christ. It's for the good of the church. Um, but we naively think it would never happen. So although, I, you know, I realised this morning, Sunday was not the most fun one we've ever done. Um, it, I just think it is important from time and again, time, time and time, from time to time, to clarify how this works and just to, to, to lay it all out. Um, it's not absolutely everything. There's more details in the, in the BCO if you want to have a read of that. Um, but it will be something that is involved in, in, in membership. Um, and um, I think that is unavoidably so because it's something that, that Christ um, institutes in his word. <coughs> I was going to discuss that, isn't it all a bit harsh? But we're, not, we're going to run out of time. Um, does anyone want to ask any questions? Just last we've got about two minutes before we need to close. But any, anyone who has any questions? Got up through a lot of material. Yes, Sally. Exactly. That's the whole, exactly that, yeah. So the whole hope is that, forgive, because the gospel, you know, gospel continues to be true, yeah. So this is, this is someone who's ref- essentially refusing the gospel. You go to them and say, look, Christ forgives sinners. I know you've had an affair. I know you've, he will forgive you. Come back. But obviously faith in forgiveness and repentance go together in the Bible. So if someone says, yeah, yeah, yeah great, I'll be forgiven, but I am going to keep sleeping with my secretary, they're not actually coming back to Christ. But as soon as they do, yeah, that's, the, that's what you want, the joyful restoration, younger brother. Is it Helen? Someone had a hand over it, yeah. Well, God willing, pretty rarely. <laughs> um, so, I, uh, I can't. I can. I think in how many years? Fourteen years ish of being a minister. I can't remember. I think, and at one church was in a place where it was a bit, you know, it was in the Anglican church, it was a bit messy. <laughs> it wasn't very clear how to do it. Um, so, some of my years were there. I think maybe twice I've seen it. In 14 years, I mean, hope you know. Obviously, hope it doesn't happen because you hope these other stages just get there. But, but what? Yeah, one was this this guy who was just sleeping with someone in the congregation, didn't care. He had teenage kids, um, and another 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 was a guy actually who, who who abandoned his wife and ran off and um, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a really that's such a good question. Um, and it's, it, the problem with all this is you can't you can't quite lay out a grid of like if it's this then this you know because it, it, circumstances and you know it, it requires wisdom. It's why the presbytery gets involved. Um, I should say that as we close. Um, I think often we're too quick. So you get these cases where someone you know you get an abusive leader or there was one in America famous was Billy Graham's grandson actually. Or, yeah, yeah, Billy Graham's grandson. You know, he had an affair, got sacked. Yeah, lots of you know, exactly. Got got sacked, understandably. Eight months later, he's back on staff at another church, saying, "I'm better equipped to be a minister now because I really understand forgiveness." You're like, whoa, like that's not well, okay. That's the right reaction. <laughs> that, that is not okay. Um, so I, I think it would depend what it was. It wouldn't necessarily be never, but I, you know, if if I have an affair or something, I. I can't pop up six weeks later having said, oh, I'm sorry. You know, it's just not appropriate. It doesn't mean you can't be part of a church and Christian, but yeah. Yeah. And instead, scratching her ear. 
It's like being at an auction. Don't twitch. Yeah. Um, um, just, I'm really sorry. It's, they're good questions. Which, uh, it's just such a big topic. We ran out of time. I just wanted to say that the reason I put that picture on the bottom again is just that this isn't all sorted out at a local level. So if, if there's a discipline thing and you think you've been mistreated, or you think I'm or Peter or Matt are being monkeys and we're not taking each other seriously, you can go to the presbytery. So the, you know, there's always a there's a there's a place to appeal. It's not just sorted out locally. And if you think the presbytery's mucked it up, you can go to the synod. <laughs> Um, which is, the, you know, and then I'm afraid it is game over. But um, it really helps being part of a formal network, rather, you know, rather than just you're at the mercy of the local church, um, because there are checks and balances there which there wouldn't be if we were just fully independent. Um, I, I, I'm sorry, we've gone a bit long, so we really ought to draw stumps. If people could help turn church around, fold tables, get chairs out, that will help whoever's officially on set up, no doubt. Thank you.